Good morning, everybody. I'm going to encourage you and challenge you today. We're going to be talking about love. And as men and women who want to pursue the life God created us for, we need to be committed. Not just have an attitude, not just every once in a while highlight, but we need a total commitment to love. I was thinking I'd pull in some of the oldies and use the sermon title, Addicted to Love. A little Robert Palmer, 80s music. Because uh, that's what we're talking about. As those that follow God, we don't just love people. We have made a commitment to love. We do not live in a society that has made a commitment to love. The most unloving people can look back, even at their last week, and find it an example of a time when they were loving. They can find an exception to their basic lack of commitment. But we're talking about total 110% commitment to love. You ever relied upon something? And it just wasn't available when you needed it most. How about this? A flat tire. You know, a flat tire, it's more than an inconvenience. Now, depending on the vehicle you drive, it's not an issue of changing the spare tire, sometimes it's an issue of finding the spare tire and then finding out the mechanism to lower the spare tire so that it's available to change. And you go, oh, that's all right. I just use AAA. Well, if you've ever had a flat tire in the middle of nowhere where you don't have cell coverage to be able to make that call, you understand what life can be. But there you are, you're cruising along in life. And sometimes that's how we feel with our life. I'm relying on something. You know, when you drive, you don't just think, I hope my tires make it. You kind of assume your tires are going to retain air. That's just kind of an assumption when you drive. Unless they're bald and you can see the the metal threads through them, then you really shouldn't rely on your tires. But in general, we just live life assuming that the tires are going to function in the way they're designed to do. In life, we assume that things are going to function the way that they're designed to do. And then you're counting on it, and then it doesn't happen. We're counting on a relationship, and we're assuming that that person... is going to function the way that we think that they should. And then we live life and we go to count on it and we find out flat tire. Not available for use. Or maybe sometimes you feel like this. You know, the greatest engineering thing that the cell phone companies did is the non-replaceable battery. Oh, yeah, don't fool yourself. Oh, we do it for it being waterproof. No, 
Now, because even the great lithium batteries, they wear out in about a year and a half. And guess what? You're now stuck. Even if your phone is great, the battery is not going to last. And you've got to get the new phone. By the way, the, the iPhone X is now available for pre-order in case you're one of those that hadn't heard. Uh, cell phones are amazing. They're computers in the palm of your hand. And hopefully you're not texting right now while you preach. But I, w- I was talking with, with Dan Roach, and we were actually talking before service about the new iPhone X. And he said, like, the Big Daddy one comes with 256 gigabytes of memory on the phone. Now, to the young people, you're like, well, of course phones come with gigabytes. I remember the first laptop I bought, it had 20 megabytes of memory. And I programmed in DOS. And some of you have no idea what DOS is, but... If you're my age, you know what DOS is. And I remember telling one of my coworkers in the chemistry department going, how could anybody ever need a bigger hard drive than 20 megabytes? I mean, in DOS, you're just never, you're never going to use that much material. And now I have this digital audio player that plays these high-res files, and I have this one called DSD format where... One four-minute song is 350 megabytes for one song. And you're like, it's crazy the amount of information that we go through now. And you go, yes, it's off my phone. Unless your battery's dead. And we can get smarter. We can get better dressed. We can get more prepared. We can have amazing careers. And all that's great. But if the battery's dead, you just feel disconnected. What are you going to do? And you're counting on being able to make a call or check, you know, your Snapchat or, you know, look at your email. And it's like without it, oh, no, all these people that are waiting for their important connection with me are going to have to wait. And how could I put them through that stress? I've got to have connection to my phone. And all that because the cell phone's out of battery. You know, there's so many things in life that we like, that we want, that we even need. But sometimes at very crucial points in our life, they let us down. One of the most humbling things about being a minister is people come to you with their deepest hurts and problems and they want you to help them fix it. And there's certain problems that There's a pretty clear path to choose. There's pretty clear direction to take. But sometimes there's there's no simple fix. There's no, oh, just read this passage and your life will be totally different. You're not even sure what answer to give. You know, the Bible gives us an answer. Where in, in, in the most crazy of situations where somebody needs help, somebody is hurting, and you go, I don't know what to do. You know, the Bible's going to give you an answer that you can count on. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. Love never fails to be the right thing to do in every situation. Love is never a wrong choice. If you're not sure what to do and you decide to love, you've made the right choice. 
He's saying, but what if it doesn't work? Love never fails. It always puts the right opportunity out there. Now, the fact is, everyone has their own choice of how they're going to respond to the opportunity given. But the Bible says the decision to love is never the wrong one. Now, that's good news. Wouldn't you love going into a test and knowing all the right answers? Not in a cheating way. And then you'd feel guilty the whole test. You know, test, you might end up in hell because you cheated. And that's just, that, that wouldn't be good. But if in a, in a real, honest way you do all the right answers ahead of time, you'd go, I love this. You know, the Bible's trying to streamline the decision making. We have hundreds and thousands of decisions that we make every week, every month. And you know what the Bible says? Decide to love. Now, the fact is, right now, in our own hearts, you know what we're doing? We're making excuses. We're going, that's just a pat answer. That's one of those answers you give somebody when you really don't know the right verse to show them. So you just say, love. It's reported that the Apostle John, he was the only apostle that died of natural causes. That near the end of his life, the only advice he would give people was love one another. That's the only thing he would say. People would come to him with complex situations. His answer, love one another. Now, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love never fails. Now, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. Because we're, we're going to see a key point. Is that love comes from spiritual mat- uh, maturity. That when you're connected to God, when you're close to God, when you desire to be with God, when you humble yourself before God, that the natural outgrowth of being connected to God is love. You say, well, how do you see that? Well, look, so 1 Corinthians 13, 8. It says, love never fails. Then in verse 11, it says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, Paul, in context here, Paul was actually talking to the Corinthian church. And there was this stage of church life where they had the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they had actually become really proud about the abilities that they had. And they're trying to one-up each other. And it wasn't building up the church. And there was a lot of disunity that was going on. And people weren't feeling good about themselves. And Paul basically says, stop acting like little kids. He goes, let me tell you what being mature spiritually looks like. And he says, here's the greatest. Faith, hope, and love. And love's the greatest one of the three. He says, spiritual maturity is being a loving person. It says, you can know the original Greek. You can read the original Hebrew of the Old Testament. But if you're not a loving person, you're just immature. I don't care how many degrees you have. 
I don't care how long you've been a Christian. If you don't love, the Bible calls you immature. It says put childish ways behind. The greatest sign of Christian maturity is the daily love that we have and show for one another in our life. So what do you do? Do you go out there and act loving? Is that mature? Well, it's okay to love somebody even if you don't feel it on the inside. The Bible calls that self-denial. The Bible never says, wait until you feel like doing what's right before you start doing it. So that's okay. But love comes from our connection with God. And sometimes that's the biggest mistake we make. We hear a sermon on love and we go, okay, I need to go be more loving. But we don't connect with God, so we try and do it on our own strength. We try and, you know, just overcome our own sinful nature by ourselves. No, we need the power of God. You know, there's a certain group of people that you can love on your own strength. It's easy. Typically, what does that look like? Well, the people that you like most to be around the people probably who are most loving to you, people that are the most encouraging to you. Sometimes it's the people that you feel like if I love them and that person notices it, maybe I'll get something in return. Maybe they're in that group too. But then there's an element of our love that gets tested. Now, you ever had a situation where you knew the theory, but when you went to kind of execute the theory in your life, it was a total failure. Let me show you an example of that. Here's a church sermon sign. Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. You know, that's just, that's just not a loving sign. I, I get the intent. You know, it's like I, I tease the guys in the huddle up ahead of time that are, you know, leading the song before I preach or the announcements. And I go, don't, don't be the guy that comes up and says, we've had a great worship service so far. What, what does that mean? It's really been great so far. And if Ron doesn't lay a big fat egg, it will continue to be great. I go, what does that mean? I said, don't be that guy. I give them a hard time. So if they do that, you can call them out and say, hey, you said that. You did the so far thing. That's really unloving to Ron that you said that so far thing. You know, here they are. They're, they're trying to get, you know, people to come to church to hear their preacher. Didn't really read that way. You ever had those situations? Maybe read a book on marriage and you go, you know, you're trying to prep for the marriage retreat. Make all the changes before you get there. So your wife won't have anything to say other than, honey, you've been so amazing. I can't think of a single thing for you to grow in. Just keep up the good work. You know, so you're studying ahead, trying to really go after it. And, and you read this book on marriage and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to totally be loving. I'm going to be so humble. And then your first opportunity to not be humble and the words come out 
and time slows down and you wish you could take them back before they hit your wife's eardrum. And you're like, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why? You know, or our, our parents, I'm not going to exasperate my kids. I don't care what they do. I'm not going to exasperate them. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be loving. That doesn't mean I don't direct. And then they come home and, and, and they give you some bad news. And you got your opportunity, but the execution just is pretty sorry. You know, we can all relate, right? The challenge with Christianity is not the theory of Christianity. It's how we live it out. Go over to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Verse 14 to 17. James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action is dead. You know, James says that there's two kinds of faith. There's a living faith that produces the deeds of faith, and then there's a dead faith. And the dead faith is kind of like that sign. It's like they got the theory, but the execution was pretty pretty sorry. He uses an example of of love. And he's like, "Hey, if you got resources, and you see somebody in need, and you do nothing? It's like, how can the love of God be in you? You see, because people are making an argument. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I know the theory. I got it. Yeah, I got the faith. And James says, if you have the living faith, you will have the deeds of the living faith that prove the faith. Now, I want you to think about this within the context of whose heart is for you to love. You say, why is it difficult? Is it difficult because the theory of being loving is a good thing? That being loving is like Jesus? Being loving is how God is defined? Is the theory why it's hard? No. It's why it's easy to love, love people that love you. No, what's the challenge? The people that have hurt you? The people that irritate you? The people that disagree with you? See, those are the people that when we have opportunity to love, we go, well, it's more difficult. Why? Because of theory? No. You know what it really boils down to? Our faith. Faith in what? Faith that love never fails. Yeah, but they disagree with me. Love never fails. They irritate me. Love never fails. They hurt me. Love never fails. 
they sinned against me. Love never fails. See, I really believe our decision to love is based upon our faith that love never fails in whoever that person is that we're being called to love. And see, God knows our hearts. And so he knows where we have just theory and where we're actually doing fine. You ever have, you know, those days where you go, man, I feel like God is just surrounding me with a bunch of irritating people. Today I've become a magnet for dumb people, dumb and irritating and bad drivers on the 405. What happened? Like, do you really think that's an accident? First of all, they're probably praying the same prayer about you. That always helps you stay humble. Right when you're getting irritated with your spouse, just remember they're, they're praying for you too. But do you realize God has a habit of putting the exact people that we need in our life for our heart to be revealed so that we can repent and become like Jesus? That's why I tell parents, parents, you know what? When you've got kids that are little, if somebody irritates them, you know what the best thing you can do? Have that kid over all the time to play. You go, no, because my kid didn't like to play with them because it irritates them. And I go, yes, that's exactly why that's the best person to bring over because their character gets to grow. But you know what we do as parents sometimes? Oh, anybody that's irritating or me, oh, we got to keep them all away. Well, how does our kid grow in their character through that? What are we going to teach them? You're going to live life in such a way that you can isolate yourself from all irritating or offensive people, and that's how you'll be able to do well and function in life. That's not the real world. So what are we going to do? But you know what? Some of us, that's how we live our life. We're in God's kingdom, but we're, we're isolated. we got our close friends, the ones that don't irritate us, and the ones that do, we wave at them. But it's a lot like this sermon sign. Hey, yeah, I love you. Love you too. Don't even know your name, so I'll use the word bro. Love you, bro. The question I have for you is this. What does your, what does your faith produce? If you're to keep a diary of the really loving acts that you've done, where you've laid down your life, where you've gone out of your way, where you've had that conversation, where, where, where you've just, in the midst of your heart, you've said what's right, you've done what's right, you've served, you've met a need. You know what you're writing down there? This is what you have Faith in love never fails. Now, on the other hand, you go, where did I have opportunity and did nothing? You know, the, the Bible uses the word anyone. I don't like when the Bible uses anyone. Because anyone always includes me. 
And if God could be more specific, then I have a way out. Because when he says anyone, that also includes you. And the mandate to love, if you have the ability to do something, extends to anyone. All of us share this. We can't say, I don't know what to do. Here, call so-and-so. No, we know. We need to love. We go, I don't know what verses to show. You can still love. I don't know how to help that situation. You can still love. Why? Because love never fails. There's no verse in the Bible that says, I'm busy with my kids and their homework. So I can't love. The Bible says, hey, if you don't have the pity, if you don't do anything about it, it says, how can the love of God be in them? What's your faith produce? Love never fails. The question is, do we believe that in those difficult moments? Let's continue on. Go over to 1 John 3. 1 John 3. We're going to spend the rest of our time here. Learn a few more things about love. Verse 14 and 15. It says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You know that word hatred? It means despise. Love less, anger towards. Yeah, but you know what? You know what it says is that being a loving person is proof of your salvation. He said, "If you do not love, you remain in death." That means you can't claim to be a Christian and just be an unloving person. Oh, that's just what's who I am. I need God's grace. You know, you do need God's grace. We all need God's grace. But John says, if you're not a loving person, you still remain in death. Means love is not optional for the saved people. That's hard line. He goes on. And in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Very similar to what James said. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It says love is an action. It is a verb. You're doing something. You can walk around with fellowship, tell everybody how much you love them, and actually do nothing to truly love them. See, lo- love is an action. Say, how's your actions? Remember, love never fails. You know, if there's a sport that you want to get good at, 
you practice and you practice and, and you do the same thing again and again and again and again. Why? Because you just want it to become second nature. If you're a singer, you rehearse. And especially those parts that have difficult notes in them and transitions. And you practice and you practice and you practice. Why? So that it just becomes second nature. We should put so much practice and hard work and effort and learning and growing into love. Why? Because love never fails. See, love is an action. He goes on. Listen to this verse. Verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Did you catch it? He says, this is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. John says, you can have internal peace before God. How? By loving people. He said, you can set your hearts at rest by loving people. But if you're not a lover of people... If people irritate you, if you distance yourself from them, if you don't want to forgive, if you're not a person of mercy and you just carry around a bunch of angst, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have all kinds of turmoil in your heart before God. And let me tell you how it normally looks like. Your prayers to God are about all your irritation with the people. And yet John says, hey, the way to get rid of that and set your heart at rest in front of God is to love those people. You see, loving sinners is easy compared to loving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but we don't get that. Because we actually think, no, 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 it's way easier to love God. My problem is with people. No. The most righteous men of the day, when they came into the presence of God, they were like, Woe to me, I'm undone, I'm not worthy. I mean, it was so overpowering, they didn't know what to do. God's like, I'm going to give you a bunch of sinners, and you're one of them, to practice. So you can get really good at it. This is loving one another is a key to getting rid of the inward turmoil of life. And then he says this in verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he's commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. It's like... To love people, it's, it pleases God. When we do what pleases God, He's fired up. And I don't know if you caught it in there, but He says, and then we have confidence before Him and receive whatever we ask for in prayer. Answered prayer is a condition of being a loving person. 
Yo, John says, hey, if you want your prayers answered, you got to love the people around you. You cannot think that you can be unloving day after day after day and that God's going to answer your prayers. It's a roadblock. Because you're not living the way that pleases God. You realize we can attend church every day of our life and still be really unloving. Church attendance doesn't make us loving. Now, we need to come to church. The Bible makes that clear. But he's addressing our heart. Saying, we've got to be committed to love. Why? Because love never fails. I believe right now as we speak, God's Spirit has put on your heart people that you have not been loving toward. You had the opportunity for love to not fail. And you didn't take advantage of that moment. You know what my challenge is? Do something about it. Go in love. Say, what's that look like? Have them into your home. Go grab coffee. Watch a Dodger game together. Unless they're in an Astros jersey. Okay, I've got to do some more work, Tyler. Love never fails. So here's my admonition. Go and succeed. Oh, I already did that. There. Go and succeed. That's pretty cool that God says, hey, I'm going to give you a totally reliable plan of living. This is not theory. This one works. It's always the right answer. So go and succeed. You can have rest in your heart. You can make a difference. You can never fail. You can always do what's right. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. God's like, I'm giving you a path that you will be victorious. What do you got to do? This love. It's a responsibility that all of us have. It's a commitment we make if we say we're going to go according to God's plan. If we're going to follow the Bible, we don't have any other option. Love is required. It's required in every relationship. Spouse, children, parents, grandparents, bad drivers. Neighbors, enemies, irritating people, disagreeers, every relationship. So the question is, how are you going to live differently? How are you going to be more loving today? Oh, I promise you. See, God really loves you and he really knows your heart. And so probably today, Maybe before you leave church, you're going to get an opportunity to put this sermon into practice. Certainly before you, you go to bed at night, you're going to have the opportunity. See, make the most of every opportunity. Let's love, let's love 
Let's love. Why? Because love never fails. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.